This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. I'm Arjun and welcoming you to this edition of Secrets to Win Big. Here, you would listen to leaders from all walks of life sharing their individual personal secrets to win big. Winning is fun, but I've always found winning big is, you know, takes you to a different league. And that helps you sustain the win over a longer period of time. Today, my VIP guest is John Register. One or two words to describing him is Mr. Comeback, who always goes for the big win. <laughs> and it's true. It's true. You know, let me just read a little part of his bio credentials. John Register is an overcomer who continues to make a global impact. He's a Gulf War Army veteran, a four-time track and field All-American, and a two-time Olympics trials qualifier. Wow. Like at every level, it's big impact. However, one misstep in life ended both his sports and military career. Since his injury, he has advised three U.S. Secretaries of State, won the long jump silver medal in Sydney, Australia, and founded the United States Olympics Committee, a Paralympic military sports program, which helps wounded, ill, and injured service members use sports as a tool for their rehab. Today, he helps people all over the world hurdle our adversity and embrace life's biggest and also new normal mindset. From Olympic hopeful to war veteran to amputee to Paralympic silver medalist, John Registered knows how to overcome life's obstacles and win and win big. John, welcome, and I'm humbled to have you as my VIP guest today. Arjun, I am so excited. I am humbled to be on your show. I mean, I could I could do the same thing to you. I could read your accolades. I could I could read them off one by one. It's I about mean, you, man. It's all about pizza you. man. Pizza man. <laughs> it's all about you today. So, John, I want to go straight to the day of the adversity. Okay, so to me, I think in life, some of us get hit by adversity. Some of us really get hit by major adversities the way you got hit. Sometimes we let adversities define us, but you defined yourself and you created your own path through it. So I just want to break it down in a few chunks. Mm -hmm. First, I want to first understand what was going through your mind after the mishap that got you back to take the first step in track and field. Like, how did you take that first step back? Yeah, that's a great question, Arjun. I've done a lot of thinking about this since that injury happened of what was the first step, what was the first process. And I really believe that before we even get into an environment that is a crisis mode, right, we have to have some things on the inside of us that help us through that crisis time. So I had a very strong faith in God. I have my family, my my wife, my friendships that were around me, the close ones that would not allow me to fail in that moment. 
because you think about it, as you said in the introduction, I'm going to officer candidate school. I am about to become a, a member of the United States Olympic team. And with one wrong step, the whole life is just gone. It's turned upside down. And before you can even think about getting up on the track or walking or doing any of those things, you're identifying who am I now? Mm-hmm. What's my relationship to myself, to my wife, to my son, to my friends, to the community I serve in, to the military, all these things. I'm never going to run hurdles again. All these things were hitting me at one time. And it's really my wife telling me, Arjun, you know, hey, we're going to get through this together. It's really just our new normal. And that's when I really started understanding this term of this new normal is more than just a destination. This is the new normal really is a plateau to grow. Every single day we get a chance to create something that is better than the previous day. Mm-hmm. And people get stuck. I mean, I, I was stuck there for a moment, right? I mm-hmm. I was under trying to understand my fears of who I am now. I'm trying to understand the fears from other people believing who I am versus who they want me to be, desire me to be. We hear it articulated right now in society of, of, of people saying, well, things are gonna, when things get back to normal, we'll be all right. You know, when things, well, I guess we're in a new normal, but that's really not it. Or society. Mm-hmm. Why, what was I listening to, Arjun, in society mm-hmm. that told me to have my initial fears? Look at what's happening in our society right now as, a, as, as in the United States of America. People are waking up to, say, racism right now. Mm-hmm. And they're asking themselves that question, why am I fearing this? What What is so difficult to fear about a person's skin color? Mm-hmm. And that's a huge conversation we're having right now in America. But we have to identify what those fears are. Then we can make a pathway to begin to articulate them, to identify and then separate them out of why we have them there in the first place. And then finally, we can choose to amputate that fear to embrace this new normal mindset. So before I even got to the track, I had to, I just had to go through that first. So it was a mindset. And you know, I really love the way you put it that you first have to see, identify what the fear is. And the fear was getting influenced by expectations, society, everything else. But what you showed me was you already had in life invested and you already had amazing roots in faith, relationships, good things happen to good people, and you had everything around you, and that helped you choose the path to go forward. You know, there's something you said, which I think was, you know, put a smirk on my face when you said, I'm never going to run hurdles again. I think you're right, because destiny put you in a place where you were supposed to fly through hurdles, not run (laughs) anymore. And the moment you said that, I just felt it was so, you know, incredibly powerful statement that it just took you to a different level, like you never drove at the same speed. So I just want to understand, you know, it's like you're, you know, even though you are a very elevated, different level human being, but you're still human. Mm -hmm. So from intellectualizing it, looking at fear, but then there's the path of going through life every day. And I just want to make it bigger than, you know, practice to everything else in athletics. So how do you take that into action every day? Like, what did you do from leadership mindset to everyday tactics that got you to the results? So there are a couple of things. That's a a phenomenal observation and phenomenal question. I would think nothing less of you, Arjun, for for asking that question. Because 
we believe, I believed, mm-hmm. life goes back to normal. Life goes back to the way it was. I was understanding this as I did my first TEDx talk, right? I, I was sitting with a colleague of mine. I said, you know, if I would have overcome the amputation of my left leg, I would have my leg back. And when I thought about that, I said, oh, there's something there. And, and he said, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. And every time I said that to people began like yourself nodding. Oh, yeah. So I began to say, what was it that I overcame? And so we talked about the first fears, but the second part of that is getting to your question. And that is we, we start rebuilding our lives, but the rebuilding is going up unbeknownst to us, a false summit. That false summit, when you tr- climb a mountain, you think you're at the top, but you're not at the top. You have to descend and maybe go up another mountain because you didn't see the mountain behind the mountain. And that is our redefining moments of, of ourselves, our redefining moments of are we going to go backwards or go forwards? And so as we're talking about taking those next steps, the first step, I believe, is, is to amputate the fear. That's step number one. And that's a, yes, it's a mindset thing, but it's critical because you can't take positive steps on, a, on solid ground unless you do that. So then, so what does that look like? Well, I believe in resilience. Resilience is a 10-letter word. There are 10 hurdles in a hurdle race. And looking at the analogy of that, maybe each hurdle represents a different hurdle that we have to get over. We have to push through. So for me, it was, and, and before that, embedded in the word resilience is the word silence. So whether that's meditation or whether that's trying to send yourself, hearing your own voice is also critical after you've amputated. Now you're sitting with yourself and you're trying to understand how do I go forward before I actually take my first step. And then you develop a ritual. And the ritual will turn into a rhythm. And the rhythm will elevate you to a rise in your life. So ritual for me was I began swimming for physical therapy. Very tangible, actionable thing. In the water, swim. Halfway across the pool, swim. Uh, I got good. And that ritual turned into a rhythm. I started swimming races, laps, and I could do almost a mile straight. Took a little while. A person who was on a, a Paralympic hopeful or knew about the Paralympic Games which are games for athletes with physical disabilities and visual impairments, not like the Special Olympics, which are for people with cognitive disabilities. She says to me, hey, have you heard about the Paralympic Games? I said, what are those? They said that the parallel games to the Olympics. Who knew? (laughs) So here I am trying to think my whole life of running was over and Paralympics and and glory of, of, of trying to make an Olympic team. And there's a parallel path unbeknownst to me. So look what happens when you start a ritual and the ritual turns into a rhythm, doors start opening up for you because you've taken steps, you've taken action, you've taken motion in your life. And from there, that that ritual rhythm turns into your rise. It elevates you to a place where you never thought was even possible. So it's the post-traumatic growth. So now I'm saying I'm doing more with one leg than I ever thought I would do it too. And that's the shift in the mindset. But we have to push in that space and actually develop a ritual, whatever that ritual is for you. It could be getting up and journaling. It could be getting up and making sure that you take a walk around the block. It could be getting up, getting on your bicycle, going for a ride. Whatever that ritual is for you individually that that pushes you into that space of creativity, of, of movement, of silence, so that you can hear your own voice, that's the action steps that we have to take. So if you just joined in late, you're listening to 
John register. And what John just took us through is first you amputate fear and then you go through the steps. And what was incredible was he broke down resilience, a 10-letter word, and loved the way he connected it to the 10 hurdles. And he also talked about start with a ritual and let the ritual become a rhythm. And that will help you rise and open doors. And the phrase that really registered to me is post-traumatic, gains, wins. And when John said, looking at the screen with pride and confidence that he has accomplished more with one leg than he would have done maybe in life, you know, to me, that's the power is we don't control what life dishes, but taking that and showing your inner strength, and that's what leadership is, to take it to the next level. But John, this is the part where it's a very personal part question, and I really want to know is, when you were on the podium, or you realized you just have clinched silver, I want to know what went through your mind at that instant. Like, what, what did you, you know, was there a swear word? Of course, you know, that's like, what, what happened, man, that, that moment? It was such a huge accomplishment. Oh, oh my gosh, Arjun. Okay, so we'll start with, we'll start with, well, can I back up just a little bit? Because I, I was talking about swimming. Mm-hmm. And when I went to the Paralympic Games in swimming in 1996, I fluked, I somehow messed up, I, I fluked up and messed up and made that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I didn't even think I made the team. So to, to show you how much of a novice I was to swimming. But there's a rule that says, if you swim 100 meters and you touch at the 50 and your time is fast enough, they can pick you up. They picked me up for the relay team. I had left, went back to Washington, D.C. where I was living, and I had made the team. So I, I didn't even know. <laughs> I, I left before the team was announced. So I get there and I'm watching closed circuit television. I see a long jumper on the long jump runway. And at Arkansas, I was a 27-foot long jumper. I'd never seen an athlete on an artificial leg run leg over leg. Hmm. So that's why I got to back up to go to, to, to the silver medal. And when I saw him run and leg over leg down the runway, he hits the takeoff board. He leaps into the air, apex the height of his flight. His artificial leg flies off. Mm-hmm. He lands here. Artificial leg lands about three feet up in front of him. Whole crowd goes dead silent like that movie, Home Alone, Macaulay Caulco. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the long jumper then turns back to the official and says, so where are you going to measure my jump from? From right here, my artificial leg landed up there. And I said, oh, that's a brilliant attitude to have. Mm-hmm. So here's what happened. I had a leg made for running. Mm-hmm. I had to relearn how to walk, relearn how to run, relearn how to jump again off my opposite leg because my left leg is the one that's gone. But my mm-hmm. left leg was my power leg to push myself into the hurdle and mm-hmm. also in the long jump. Mm-hmm. So I had to reteach myself how to long jump off my right leg Hmm. and and do all those those things off the right leg. I get, and I make four years later, the, the Sydney team. There are six jumps I get to attempt on October the 23rd, 2000, my mother's birthday. They're in the stands. All the support element that's been around me, my community and family support center for the United States Army were just amazing, giving me time to train. Uh, my family giving me time to train and to to really support me people that I was training with just happened buyers on the track pouring into a, 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 an endow- like an endowment fund to help my family get over to the game so I could have family support structure. That's why it's so critically important. So when you say, what was that moment like? Because mm-hmm. no one goes for the silver medal, right? Everybody's going for the top spot. Totally. And, and so, so I get ticked off when people say, oh, you only got silver. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
if you realize what I had to do, I had to lose a limb to get silver, right? And it's something that you earn. And can you be satisfied with what the effort that you put in and you earn that mm-hmm. without trying to pull down the person that earned the gold medal mm-hmm. or pull up the person that won the bronze medal mm-hmm. or anybody else that's finished fourth, fifth, sixth or seven, you earn what you earn. Mm-hmm. And we are so much in a society right now where people are feeling entitled mm-hmm. to something that they have not yet earned. Mm-hmm. So on that medal stand, when the flowers came into my hand and the silver medal was hung around my neck, it's, it's weighty, it's heavy, but I didn't, I didn't understand the moment. You know, I'm standing up there at attention. Switzerland had won the gold, Lucas Kristen, uh, the silver medals to me, and I see my flag being raised. Proud moment. I'm thinking about a lot of things. I'm thinking about, this is a great accomplishment. Oh my gosh, John, you've made it. This is awesome. You've, you've done it. 20 years worth of work and you're here. That was one I was thinking about. And then I began thinking about, oh, but all the people that are supporting you, my family's here, my, you know, my friends are watching. And, uh, and I began to think about those individuals. And that was all like, oh, my coaches. And so I was thinking about those individuals and all the people that were there and pouring into me and a, and a surrogate coach that came over to help me in my final days of preparation. And then I thought about everybody who was in the stands, who was watching on television around Australia or the world or wherever it was being simulcast to. And not one person was moving in that moment. And I realized that moment was bigger, way bigger than this medal. Mm -hmm. This moment was in reverence. It was in respect. It was in honor of these three individuals that have proven themselves to be the best in the world on a October the 23rd at 1030 in the morning after six jumps, they were the best out of all the countries that had qualified. Mm -hmm. And you know what we're going to do as an entire world, we're going to pause and celebrate this life moment of these three, but also of humanity. And that's when Arjun, the tear fell from my eye because it was such a gravity moment. Mm-hmm. It was so grave. It was so weighty that three people could s- strike a pause in the world for that moment. Mm-hmm. And so when I got in the elevator to go back down, I felt the metal for the first time in my hand after they put it around my neck. I felt the weight of it. And I realized that the weight of this metal and the significance of it was never going to be held in a box. It is to be shared with the world because it's not mine. Mm-hmm. There were so many people that I may have been the one to earn it, but there were so many people along that journey that gave it, that, that gave their time, energy, and talents to me, as well as the people that were honoring and respecting three different countries mm-hmm. on a medal podium for their one performance that they had on that October 23rd day, mom's birthday. So that's what was going through my head on that day. No, but John, what you showed me was even in a moment which is that huge and you being on the podium, literally top of the world, even then you paused and you made it about everyone around you. Okay, And there are two things that I really want to digress a little. One is, you know, I grew up with my grandma, my Maiji, I used to call her. She always taught me results are blessings. 
Hmm. You need to look at maximizing your effort, just like in any race, you know, it doesn't matter whether you come first, you know, have second, third, have you maximized your effort? Okay. And for you, not only did you maximize how you saw the long jumper, you found inspiration from him. And then you retrained, like you literally went through and I was looking at, you know, your whole secret recipe and sauce formula that you shared with us is starting from you create a new ritual, you create a new rhythm, like you relearned everything. And the very fact even you even decided to run this race, that makes you way ahead of most of us. Okay? And the second thing is this part about putting everyone else first every time. I just think it has to get in somebody's DNA and you're very fortunate that you have it and make all of us very exciting, excited about this. Like I just want to share with all my friends and who are listening that today, at 12.45, 12.50, I get a call from John Register. I'm thinking maybe he got busy. He, you know, is canceling. It's totally okay. You know, life happens. No, John just calls to say thank you and how fortunate he is to be on my show. I just, you know, pause for a second by saying, wow, I'm so lucky to have John Register on my show. And in this whole journey of discussion, I think also one thing all of us should remember is John talked about something which all of us should get inspired and aspire for in our life is we are all capable if we go through the whole diligence to strike a pause. The pause may not be as big as what John and the two other athletes did. They paused the whole world. All of us may not be able to get there, but we can still you know, strike that pause and we are capable of that. And I really think that's such a huge inspiration, John, from you. And on that note, I just want to switch to inspiration. Like how, you know, for you to get to this level, you know, of course, you know, amazing family and your parents. So what was one instant of the biggest inspiration in your life that brought you to this point? I, I, I took a business class. A woman challenged us and said, oh, it was a veterans entrepreneurship business class. I'm a veteran. And, and Arjun, and I was in the class and she says, okay, what's the most important thing about business? <laughs> and all of us got the answer wrong, according to her. So I was thinking marketing. It's the, and then somebody else said, oh, it's contacts. It's, it's, you know, whatever we, we say. Um, it's, it's getting up, making your telephone calls, all these things. And so one after one, she was shooting us down saying, no, 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 no. She says, the most important thing in business is understand how you're going to wrap it up. How you're going to sell your business. How you're going to get rid of it. How you're going to sit. Because with that question, I said, oh, you know, with that question, she's saying that you're already successful and you're thinking about how you're going to depose of the business. We put on the stock market. We bequeath it to your children. What are you going to, so you're already thinking in those terms of longevity and legacy. About six months later, I was thinking to myself about my life for whatever reason. I don't know. I just, her words came back to me and I started thinking, okay, what do I want at the end of my life? Kind of one of those tombstone type questions, you know? And and I Mm -hmm. said, uh, I want to hear my God say, well done, my good and faithful servant enter into the joy of my rest. When I said those words, I was like, oh, ritual rhythm rise. Right. So, so what, what, what I have to do to try to, to do that. And the, and so I began saying, okay, I'm going to 
seek everything of God first. Mm-hmm. Because doing that will align all my actions for the day. Mm-hmm. I want to honor my God by making sure I am honoring what I believe he wants me to do for the day. So with my wife, my children, my, and all things shall be added right to, to me for that. So that was, that was there. And when I understood that, I started backing that up all the way to, to today mm-hmm. on how can I be of value? How can I support? And that's the inspiration because people think again, like the new normal, that inspiration is this destination or it's a, like a word or a throwaway or something. But to me, inspiration is a catalyst. Mm-hmm. It's a catalyst to what? It's a catalyst to motivation. So I, I used to call myself a motivational speaker. I don't anymore. Well, maybe for SEO purposes, but I don't, in my, my word, I don't call myself a motivational speaker. I'm an inspirational speaker because I'm a catalyst to motivate people to act. Inspiration is a catalyst to motivation. Motivation in turn causes actions, but actions lead us mm-hmm. to transformational results. And those results, they re-inspire us, the person that's walking through that process in the first place, or mm-hmm. somebody that's watching them, they catch the vision. Mm-hmm. They catch their own vision and they spring out. And so what I'm looking for in life as inspiration points are not the ripples that go out, but the echoes that come back. Because you, somebody on this pod, this, this, this show, they might be listening right now and saying, oh my gosh, I need to tell this story to X, Y, and Z. They need to hear this and they share it with somebody. I have no idea. You have no idea where it's going to wind up in the world. But somebody that hears it, they find you on LinkedIn. They find you on Facebook. They find you on Instagram. They find you on Twitter or wherever social media channel is. And they write you back and they say, your story impacted me and changed my life. It it took me in 180 degree different direction. And you've never met them. You mm-hmm. never had an engagement with them one-to-one. It happens all the time. We just need to be listening for that echo. So you talked about, you know, inspiration. And again, you know, it's bizarre that so many wisdom that you are talking about connects to my grandma. My grandma always reminded me, find the inspiration. And then she said 10% is inspiration, but the remaining 90 is your perspiration. Inspiration, <laughs> perspiration doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> And I think when you talked about, you know, the echo that comes back, I really think it connected. You know, I just want to also just go totally off on a tangent. The sure. person whose name you mentioned, not me, you know, you talked about so many times is your wife. Mm. You know, she has been such an amazing. So can you just give us a, maybe a few, you know, without embarrassing her, such an amazing <laughs> human being she is just as you know, in today's language, my daughter would say a little shout out about how amazing she is. This woman, uh, Al, her name is Alice. And sometimes you don't even realize the gift that you have. Some people have great gifts. I may have great gifts, but some people actually are the gift. Mm-hmm. And my wife is a gift to me because we yin and yang each other. I will tell you a short story. Oh, there's so many stories that I have in my head that I want to share. I'll share the one. She's a flight attendant with Southwest Airlines. I was doing a lot of traveling, building the, the military sport program for the United States Olympic Committee. I was traveling the I was traveling the United States from Walter Reed to Brook Army Medical Center down in San Antonio, Texas, to the Navy Hospital out in, in uh, San Diego, California, and then reversing the trip. Right? I was it was I was on the road, literally almost 200 days out of the year. Right? And and I'm just, I was. I was, I was gone a lot. So she wanted to get back at me. 
So she said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a flight attendant. (laughs) And she was thinking I was going to say, no, I don't want you to be a flight attendant. I want to stay with you. You stay home. I'll stop traveling. (laughs) That's what she wanted me to say. But because of the arguments we were having, I was saying, go for it. You can do it. This is your opportunity. Take charge. (laughs) And so reluctantly, so she wouldn't lose face, right? (laughs) She went forward with it. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of it is after she finished, there was a descent. She was stationed in Ontario, California, from and we live in Colorado Springs. So she was flying back and forth to her main station. On one of the trips, upon landing, there was a young boy in the back of the plane, but my four or five years old had gotten a piece of candy lodged in his throat. And as the plane was on final descent, the parents were freaking out. The kid's turning blue. She gets up out of her seat, runs to the back, does the Heimlich maneuver, gets the candy out of the boy's mouth, gives him some paper towels, you know, to, to, to wipe up and then got him back in the seat. She runs back right before the wheels touch the ground. Wow. I think about that moment because had she not mm-hmm. gone through with that flight attendant training, would that child still be alive? Had she not pushed through when her job told her when she was by my side at the room in, in Wichita, Kansas, that you no longer have your job because you've been gone away too long to take care of your husband. We don't even believe you're taking care of your husband. <laughs> and she lost her job, kept that from me to tell us that we're going to get through this together. This is just our new normal. I don't know where I would be right now, Arjun. That is just the the truth of it. So she has such compassion for individuals. If she goes out right now with against all the all the rules and is, you know, putting their mask on and stuff and making plates for the homeless down, you know, that live and that we have like tent city down here mm-hmm. and, you know, just puts like 40 chicken plates together and off we go to, to, to do that. I mean, no one knows. I mean, mm-hmm. they probably do now because I'm saying it, but no, no, no one knows. And she does that constantly to people. And so I'm just so honored that she chose me to be her, her life partner. I mean, wow, I, I just have the best wife ever. And that also, I think the, this moment you described in the plane, that is, again, connects back to strikes a pause. I really believe that at that instant, every other person who was fortunate to be in the plane did not even right. blink for a second and just saw magic happen. You know what, John, with all this wisdom, if John today from 2020 went back and talked to the kiddo John, maybe 15, 16 years old, what would be one advice he'll give that young, amazing young man? Yeah, I think it's, you know, Arjun to A, it's, it's just to, to follow the path. Oftentimes, we don't know. We have these, these pulls in our life, these, these inklings of what we may should do. And a lot of times we just, you know, I used to do this, just push it away. We just, you know, just whatever. That's, that's a fleeting thought. Mm-hmm. But now I pay more attention to those fleeting thoughts because I don't think they're fleeting. I think they're directions. They're like we say in the echoes, because in echolocation, echoes guide mammals in the water to mm-hmm. where they need to be. Echoes also guide those that do not have sight in hallways or around open spaces because they can hear the echo bouncing back and giving them sonar location to where they are in time and space. And so I think those moments, at least for me, that are these little nudges are what we need to pay attention to most because that puts us 
for some reason on the right trajectory to move in, in a space that may not be comfortable. We may have to see it only through faith, the faith realm. And faith is not that it's it's not seen, but it's on the way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so it's on the way to us, but we can't, it's not yet manifest itself in us uh, at that point in time, but we know it's coming. Mm-hmm. And so it's a tangible hard thing. If I were to give you, you know, and say, you know, Arjun, I'm going to mail this bottle of water to you. You know, it. you know, it's coming. Or you say, I, I need a bottle of water, John. I'm saying, I want to mail this to you. You do not yet have it, but it's on the way. Mm-hmm. It's physical. It's coming. Mm-hmm. And I think people have these course corrections that happen, but we don't listen to it. That's why it's so critical in resilience that we need to be silent first. Mm-hmm. I think the other question though, Arjun, is if I go 20 years out in the future, what do, what does that future John tell myself now? What do I look at? Mm-hmm. How, what do I want to be? Because that begins to get at that question again of legacy. And how do I want to live my life to leave legacy for my children's children? And that's not necessarily money or monetary, but you know, it's, it's imparting some type of wisdom or something into their life that allows them to treat others better than they, they treat themselves. Yeah, and it just is connecting back to me is the legacy my grandma left me is yeah. not about money. But one day when I'll talk to John Register, an amazing wise human being, her wisdom will connect the dots for me as I'm listening to the conversation. Mm. So that I just want to look at is, you know, somebody like you talked about rhythm, like, you know, anytime I look at a leader like you, I just feel success that can be, re- you know, repeated, sustained, always has a process because planned and process success are the only success that can mm-hmm. be repeated. Okay. So for John Register, when you wake up in the morning, is there a ritual? What's the first thing you do? And what's the last thing you do when you're winding down, you know, from your workday? Yeah. So the first thing really is, is uh, we have a prayer call every morning at 530 in the morning for our church. The second thing I do is I'm usually up and I walk the neighborhood. So that's like a two mile walk. And then the, the third thing I'm, and I'm listening to like podcasts or listen to some sermon or something like that. And then the third thing I'm doing is I begin to, to structure the day um, to get my direction for the day. I try not to do it the, the night before because I don't know what tomorrow is supposed to hold. And so I know some people, you know, that's, and I, different people have different schools of thought. This is what works for me. And I just structure the day and I'll, and I'll sit with it for a little while. Because I don't want to rush into doing busy work when there might be a need that if I don't open my ears and, and attune myself, mm-hmm. it might get it might get overlooked in my process because I'm so I'm so ready to jump into the work day. It happened today. I got up, I did everything, and I just for some reason I just couldn't get down to the office to start moving. And I started, you know, my wife had some stuff that she wanted to do. I did some dishes, I got some, and I just started kind of just thinking, okay, why am I in this space? Why am I doing this? There's some things that you want to ha- have happen. And I did those things and I had a call at 10 o'clock. So I had, I knew I had to be on that one and I want to get some things done before the 10 o'clock call. I didn't. There are moments mm-hmm. when you just have to kind of go with that flow. Mm-hmm. And there are also those moments where, you know, you, you get dressed, you, you, you put the clothes on, you come down the, in, the, in the basement, you have your nice jacket on and you just go. Uh, and you know that you have these, 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 this, this thing that you want to accomplish and it just kind of flows. And, and other days it's just, just kind of, okay, it's just kind of here and there. But the, the whole point of in either one of those cases, you're moving forward. 
And what's the you last do, thing you do when you finish your day? What's the last thing? Yeah, the, the last thing is, once again, is prayer up, up in the bed and bam, I'm out <laughs> like a light. So it's usually I'm, I'm in bed by 9.30, 9.45, so I can get up by 5 o'clock in the morning. Wow. So, John, this is absolutely incredible. For all of us, you know, we thank you for taking time today. You know, really appreciate, John, for taking the time. I would request all of us, we should listen to this quite a few times because they were amazing nuggets My top takeaways today is we all should start from looking at fear because fear is unknown. You know, it somehow becomes this huge monster in our mind. And what John taught us today, the first step was amputate fear. And then he took us through, you know, the different steps of resilience. And very soon, you know, in a second, John, I'll just ask you about the contact information so that way people can reach back at you. But that's the part where John talked to us about, you know, start with the ritual, build a rhythm, rise in life. And then that will open doors. Another thing was, you know, talked about the pause in every moment, both in John's life. And, you know, he talked about one moment, there have been others too, where the magnitude of accomplishment strikes a pause around the world, around people. And the same thing when John talks about his wife, and, you know, we are so fortunate that she was in the flight that day. And not only was she trained, but she just knew what to do and acted on it. So it's all about, we all should look at how do we strike that pause. And then the inspiration that John talks about is he wants to be the inspiration and not wants to be is the inspiration catalyst. But it's for us to act. Because that was a big aha for us. It's not the ripples that go out, but the echoes that come back. And on that note, I would ask John is when people want to reach you, connect back and share with you how listening to you has changed their life. What's the best way for them to reach you and find you? Thanks, Arjun. Yeah, the best way um, is my email address is is always open. It's john at johnregister.com, john at johnregister.com. And then we have our phone number for the business, which is 719-357-6833. You can find all information about me. I'm all over social media. Website is johnregister.com as well, johnregister.com. That's that you can catch, catch me there. Thank you again, John. And John, I really found it very clever that you worked it in this conversation that you did the dishes today and you need to get credit for that. That was very clever, very well played. So thank you again, John. And thank you all for listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun. I'm really honored to get these incredible leaders from different walks of life to come and share. And looking forward to the next episode where we'll have another fascinating leader. Thank you, John. And thank you, Sean, for recording this because without your help, we can't move forward. Thank you again, buddy. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.